I'm Mel Kettle, and you're listening to This Connected Life, the show where connected leaders share their experience, values, and strategies that have helped them become more connectable so they achieve success in life and business. My guest today on This Connected Life is Dr. Janine Bakehausen. Janine is a futurist who believes existing structures in the technology industry must change in order to serve tomorrow's digital landscape and that our children's future job prospects depend upon it. She is passionate about leadership, innovation and education to champion Australian tech entrepreneurship and is very active in addressing the necessary rebalancing of gender roles within traditionally male-dominated STEM industries. And STEM is science, technology, engineering, and maths, for any of you who do not know. Welcome, Janine. I'm excited to talk to you today. Thank you, Mel, for having me. I'm super excited too. Absolute pleasure. So my first question that I like to ask all my guests is, what does connection mean to you? An excellent question. Connection for me is about community. It's about working together. It's helping each other. And I think now more than ever, we're all vulnerable. We all need each other. And it's very easy to get distracted in our own worlds right now because everything seems very immediate and very personal. I think we need to get a bit beyond that if possible and connect and and we're all in this world together and never more now than ever before. And it's about working to our strengths and also bringing together people who need us to bring them forward with us. Yeah, I totally agree with you. One of the things that I mentioned in the introduction is that you're really passionate about rebalancing gender roles and getting more women involved in STEM. Now, how did you get into that? What made you realise, I guess, a couple of questions, what made you realise there weren't many women and how did you develop that as your area of love? Great question as well. I was in my undergraduate degree. I was studying information technology at Griffith University. I was one of a few women, I guess, in the degree. I think there were maybe a handful of us. And it was quite intimidating in a room of 200 young men in an information technology degree. I was very fortunate to have that group of women to come through my degree with and we also beat all the guys with our grades. That's just what we did and um, we worked well together. But we were also very fortunate that we had a couple of female lecturers who were passionate about understanding why there weren't enough women coming through that STEM degree and looking at ways to do research, I guess, change that. So they brought myself and a couple of my colleagues at the time on board. I remember it was back in 2000, we joined a research team, which was called the Women in IT Project. So this is, I think they got their first grant in 1997. So they were definitely pioneers in this space. So they brought me onto their team, taught me how to do interviews and a bit about research and Mm. I've been part of their lives ever since. And to be honest, if I wouldn't be doing it this if it wasn't for them. So they had a big impact. And I think in some ways they were grooming me to take over from them when they were retiring and keep this. Um, I think they really realised it was a real problem and that there was a lot of work to do and that someone needed to do that. I guess they saw something in me to take that on, mm. which I'm very grateful now. Changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it's so important that we have more girls in STEM? For me, it's about girls having choices in life. And STEM is one of those choices and it breaks my heart when girls opt themselves out of STEM without actually seeing it as a valid career choice. 
because to be honest, STEM is in everything we do and it will even become more so. So to be honest, we're going to get the girls anyway, regardless if they choose it or not eventually. But for me, it's about girls having choices and opting in rather than either being sidelined or opting out for the wrong reasons. But they just have to be part of it. There's such incredible industries to be part of and they're paving the way for our futures. Why don't we want women part of it? They need to be part of creating our future. Absolutely. Mm. I certainly know when I was in high school, my favourite subjects were maths and biology. And I went to an all-girls school from years, probably from year four through to year 10. And we just didn't have that many options. You know, we had maths, we had biology, we had chemistry, but we didn't have physics or any other, you know, more difficult male subjects. And we were right next door to a boys' school that offered physics and engineering and woodwork and metalwork and none of those subjects were offered at our school. And after I left, they started allowing girls to go over to the school next door to do some of those subjects and boys to come to ours to do sewing and cooking and all the traditionally girly subjects, which were just freaking hideous (laughs) for me. (laughs) And then when I went to my next high school for year 11 and 12, I found it really interesting because a couple of my classmates did engineering and physics and high-level math subjects, and they came first in the class for all of those subjects. And the boys' noses (laughs) were really put out by that. And um, I just remember thinking, why didn't we have those opportunities I think, unfortunately, those opportunities don't still necessarily exist in Mm. all schools and even all girls' schools, unfortunately. I've heard of examples. I I know of a friend who was at a boys' school and wanted to play a string instrument, so he had to go to the girls' school because they didn't offer it at the boys' school. So it goes both ways, which I thought was quite fascinating. And I guess you see the numbers around, like, outdoor space for girls' school versus boys' school. Boys Mm. have, I think, like four or five times the outdoor space that girls' schools do. And the physical structures actually change the way that you do things in schools Mm. and how they're designed is a big structural, I guess, bias in the way we do things in the classroom. Mm. Partly... I think teachers are not really prepared. We have a new digital technologies curriculum that's being rolled out across Australia in all state schools. And it's expected from year one to year eight that teachers will be able to implement this uh, computational thinking within the classroom and embed it within the subjects that they're teaching. And in some ways, some of them are thinking, well, this is just another thing we have to teach. They're used to being the experts in the classroom. That's no longer the case when we talk about STEM. So they have to get used to that co-creation and working alongside the students. And that's not an easy thing to do, particularly for some older teachers who are just not used to it and younger teachers too I mean pre-service teachers the amount of them who don't have adequate skills in STEM is pretty mind-blowing so it's at both ends of the spectrum so that's a lot of the reasons why it's not in schools. So you started an organization called Tech Girls Movement quite a few years ago now what did you start that for? Yes, so Tech Girls Movement Foundation is now seven years old and we're having a virtual party tonight to celebrate seven years old, actually, which is super exciting, yes, and getting 10,000 girls come through hands-on doing entrepreneurship in our program, uh, so through schools, through our online program. For me, setting up Tech Girls Movement was about all of us finding our superpower, yes, and it's not about being extra human or anything like that, but it's about finding your strength about finding what's important to you and what gives you that strength and tapping into that when you need to. Mm. Because, again, particularly now we all need to tap into those strengths and find out what will bring us forward in the best way. And we are not good at everything, but usually there's one thing that we're good at and what's that one thing that makes you different but makes you awesome? And I love asking girls that question because it's incredible when I speak to girls and I'll say, so can you do X on the technology? They're like, no, 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 I can't do that. 
if I say, well, if you're a superhero, how would you do it? And then they give me 10 different ways they would do it. So is there something about being an identity other than yourself? I think we all find that. And you see that with social media, people are people other than themselves, a version of themselves. And I think it's another version of ourselves. And if that can give us strength to get through tough times, then that was something I wanted to instill in young people, particularly girls, confidence, confidence, confidence in all of us, but particularly with girls, young girls, teen girls, tween girls, confidence is such a big issue. And we need to find ways of tapping into that strength and saying, no, 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 you're different, but you're awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What's your tech girl superpower? Ooh, great question. I love this question. I often tell girls it's my smile because it's physically impossible for someone to frown at you if you smile at them. Oh, I did not know that. So I, so I tell girls, put your hands on your hips next time someone's frowning at you and give them a big smile and see how they respond. And they just love it. <laughs> the Wonder Woman pose, hand on hips and a big cheesy grin. I love it. Amy Cuddy, bring it on and um, throw it out there. And absolutely. Oh, I love it. It works. It works and girls get a giggle and... I love it. So you were recently awarded an Order of the Medal. What is it? An Order of Australia Medal? Oh, my God, yes. I always get it wrong. That's um, okay. An OAM on the Queen's birthday, 13th, 14th of June, a couple of weeks ago, for your work in this space and in volunteering. Congratulations. Thank you. How did you feel when you got that phone call? Very surprised. To be honest, they sent a message to my PO box, but because COVID happened, I didn't check my PO box for two months. So that was a very nicely em- <laughs> emblemed letter sitting in my PO box that I didn't know about. So luckily they chased me and they found my business manager and called her. And I think she probably screamed in their ear and let me know. And it wasn't until the next morning it sank in and I was sitting there going, did that happen? I think that happened. But I think very fortunate because if I hadn't known about it for three months, I wouldn't have been able to keep it to myself. <laughs> So in a way, I was fortunate. But yeah, it's really a blessing. It's not something I ever, ever expected and really wasn't even on my radar. But I feel very, very honoured. You really should. I was so happy for you and excited when I found out. So congratulations for exciting. Um, Thank you. And I guess for me, I hope it just helps take the cause forward for Girls in STEM. And For me, it's a win for Girls in STEM and to show that we're important as a cause and you need to listen to us and we're Mm. part of the future. I think it's also another level of credibility to say that not only are you saying this is important, but you've been formally recognised for the work that you do. So other people who potentially have nothing to do with girls in technology understand the relevance and the value of the work that you're bringing. Absolutely. And for me to be able to show that to the girls that I've worked with over the years and to say, look, if I can do this, you can do this. Just keep going and do your best. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've written quite a few books and the latest one you've written is called Five Things You Can Do to Engage Girls in STEM. What are those five things? Five things. Now, I I would hazard a guess they work with boys as well. I just happen to know they work with girls through the research and the experiences that I've had. So A is around autonomy and giving girls opportunities for leadership where they can learn um, through their own, building their own skills and to see that leadership is really important and it's a skill that can really take them forward. So that's, that's your A. Uh, e is about ethos and it's about mindset and having a growth mindset, the work of Carol Dweck and so on, but saying that, and part of that is confidence, so building confidence and using that confidence to keep moving forward. And I know I had a couple of girls that have been through our program and they actually won and I took them to Silicon Valley and they pitched their amazing app over there 
And I saw them earlier this year and they had applied for a particular college for their senior studies and they were saying, oh, we don't think we're going to get in, we don't think we're going to get in. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like on paper you girls are dream candidates. And I didn't say that to them. But, uh, but the fact that they weren't quite sure that they would get in, I just thought that's, that's ultimate growth mindset, that they've done all these amazing things and they're still like, yeah, not really sure, I still need to work hard. I thought that was really cool. So, yes, AEI, I is about involvement. So involvement is about hands-on skills about having experiences where you get to touch stuff, so touch technology and you get to break technology. That's a really important part of technology is breaking it and working out how to fix it as well. Often we're told, oh, don't do that, don't touch that, don't break that. I'd say break it, break it, break it and fix it. And then we have O. So O is about otherness. So otherness is about understanding why diversity is important, understanding diversity of thought, why group think is a negative thing and can get us into trouble. And really, if we all look the same, we all think the same. And diversity is not just about gender. It's about having everyone of us represented at the table, regardless of our backgrounds. But we need to have everyone represented at the table. And then um, usness. Usness is something I made up, but it's really about computing with a purpose. It's about having a reason to build technology and not just building technology for technology's sake, which often happens. There's so much technology that's built as a solution looking for a problem. We instead should be really defining what the problem is that we would like to try to solve and then building an adequate solution for that. And therefore, we have much better success with the technology that we build. So that's the way we try to frame it. And for me, what we find is... The girls that we work with, if they find a problem they care enough about, they will do absolutely anything to solve it. And even if they win, they're like, oh, we won? We thought we won just by finishing. <laughs> so, oh, no, no, you actually won something. <laughs> Possibly a trip to the US. I'm like, oh, really? We already wow. thought we won. Like, seriously, it was crazy. Wow. How old are the girls that you work with? We start with girls as young as seven, up to 17, but most girls are between sort of nine and 14. Okay. That's our and- If parents want their daughters involved or if schools want to be more actively involved, what can they do? We would love them to. So we run our signature program each year in Term 2. And so we launch each year on International Women's Day on the 8th of March. And then we run from Term 2 through to September. So that's our schedule. We would love you to join us. Come to our website, techgirlsmovement.org. And reach out in the meantime because we have books, we've got swag, we have fun things that we can send out to your schools outside of that time. And are you working internationally or is it only within Australia? We do work internationally. We have a number of teams in New Zealand. We've also taken some of them to the US. We have really great partnerships in the US with some outreach programs there that we visit when we attend there each year, which unfortunately we won't be doing this year, which is quite a shame. But we have been four years in a row to Silicon Valley, taken about 40 girls over there to pitch. So we've got some really great partnerships there, which to be honest, it's quite sad to um, not have that connection anymore. So there's something just so inspiring about seeing 10-year-olds get up and pitch in front of you know Silicon Valley venture capitalists or, as you know, James Clear. I was watching a video just this morning, our friend James Clear, who's written atomic habits we were lucky to meet him when we were in silicon valley and our 10 year olds pitched to him and, and sang a song about their app to him and i literally got it on video and it, it's just incredible to see here's this new york times bestseller you know 10 year old girls pitching to him and he was just so full of joy and just to make that connection for the girls like lifelong amazingness um, and some of the girls had even read his book when we'd been there which i thought was just incredible that's just giving me goosebumps that's <laughs> I, I love that i love that I and that just comes right back to the beginning i said to you what does connection mean to you and you said it's about community and i think that the community of in stem and in the tech space is remarkable in a lot of the ways that it works however i'm also 
heard so many stories and anecdotes from other female friends who are in that space that it still is really male dominated, that there's so much gender bias against women. And I know that a lot of the work that you're doing is hoping to overcome a lot of that. But I guess what are one or two practical things that anybody can do to help overturn some of that negativity and bias? Depends on which age we're talking about. One thing is to not focus on what people look like, but actually ask people about their brain a little more. And we often do this with girls particularly. We say, oh, it's such a pretty dress or you look so lovely today or it's a nice new hairband or something. And we often just fall into that trap rather than saying, what's your favourite book? Hmm. Or, you know, what's your favourite toy to play with or other things, which we would tend to ask boys. I think that's pretty simple. I think also in the toys and the books and even ourselves, you look at your bookshelf and who are you reading? Are we missing something there? What gaps? And yeah, it might be uncomfortable, but we should be reading outside of our comfort zone, I think. And I had a comment on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. Someone wrote something counter to what I had posted. And I don't necessarily know him very personally, but I wrote back because I learned something from what he had posted, even if I didn't 100% agree with what he said. But then I wrote back saying that we could learn from that. And he was quite surprised saying, wow, I didn't expect such a positive response on something that disagreed with you. And I was like, well, that's how we learn, isn't it? That's what we do. And just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you need to be nasty about it in either how you frame the disagreement or receive the disagreement. It's a disagreement. Absolutely. (laughs) And and it's okay to not agree. We can agree to disagree. It's totally fine. And that's what makes the world go around. Exactly. And if you learn from other people's opinions, then you can potentially shift your mind or change your mind or think about things differently. And that's how we grow. Again, back to the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. If you never listen or you never consider that other people's views could be equally as valid as yours, then how do you become a different person or a better person? Absolutely agree, Mm. thousand percent. One of the things you mentioned in your book was that one of the reasons that potentially boys and men are so much more entrenched in the STEM space is because back in the 80s when household computers happened, families and parents would often buy them for their boys to build things and to play with, whereas girls were still given dolls and, you know, traditionally girly toys, little, you know, finger movements here Um, (laughs) and girls would often be given computers or use computers to achieve a certain goal whereas boys would use them to play Mm -hmm. and so it was the concept as you've said in your book of tool versus toy Mm -hmm. and I certainly remember when I was in high school I spent a year in Canada when I was 18 in year 12 and was one of two girls doing the computer science course that my school had to offer, which I must confess went completely over my head, partly because I came in halfway through the year and missed all the basic coding stuff and had no idea what I was doing. I'd never touched a computer before (laughs) and I was 18. (laughs) But I just found it really interesting that the class was full of boys, whereas so many other classes that I chose to do were full of girls. And and I'd never really thought about computers being given to boys to play with as a toy, but I think about all of my male friends now and my stepson and his male friends, they use computers for gaming, even still today. They don't tend to use them for research. I mean, they use them for research and solving problems and lots of other things as well, but they use them as a toy more than girls do. Like, I don't know too many female gamers. Agree, agree. And if there are female gamers, they tend to be a bit more focused with their time, in my experience, than guys do. I agree that the experiences you have, and I was just reflecting a, a couple of days ago, and I have cookbarrows in my background, but I was just reflecting a couple of days ago how 
when I was at school, I was put in my computer lab in year 11, I think, and there were three of us girls and the rest were guys. We had, you know, green screen computers, uh, old Sperry's, I remember, with the big dot matrix printers. And mm. I remember the boys would come in and just literally steal stuff out of the computers. Like they'd break them open and steal the RAM out and stuff. And somehow that was a bit of a glory thing to do. But as girls, like we were just like, but we just want to do something on the computer. Like we actually want to do something. And we were really frustrated. I think the teacher recognized that she <laughs> very kindly, and this was probably partly why I'm doing what I'm doing now, but she actually put us into a different lab. And this lab was like the, the lab and it had the very expensive brand new Apple computers, the Apple twos. And I'm pretty sure the printer was like a color printer worth like $10,000. And um, I was at a, like, you know, a low SES public high school. And uh, it was a big thing that we were allowed. One of the other girls, I don't think went on to be school captain. So I think we were sort of a little credible, but the teacher put us in there. We went there every week. We worked on projects and I just remember how, great it was that she gave us that opportunity and that we didn't get stuck in the crowd and we didn't get lost and didn't get a chance to learn and we like I remember learning so much and enjoying it just so much because we had this space it was just really fun and yes we were I think that annoyed the boys a little bit but having that opportunity and I, in my book I do talk a bit about counter spaces and the idea that girls do still need a safe space to learn in STEM and I get that question a lot like do we still need to separate and absolutely mm. we need to separate boys still tend to take toys off the girls even if they don't know how to use them they will literally take them out of their hands like 99% of the time so I've seen it in action we teach little robotics and things like that and boys always take them out of the girls hands and but always there's a boy that cries in those sessions too and these are quite young kids there's always a boy that cries and it's that you know don't want to give it up and but even if they don't know what they're doing they'll just pretend and um which is quite hilarious to see yeah yeah and girls just go I just don't care that much okay take it see ya (laughs) I guess it is also about making it fun particularly with the age, with the younger ages of kids that you work with, science shouldn't be work or it shouldn't be hard. It should be fun and enjoyable and easy to understand. And the more you can frame it in those ways, then I think the better off you'll be. I think play is key to what mm-hmm. you're saying there. And I'm doing a project with UTS at the moment and we've been doing exactly that with some schools in Sydney. It's around STEM plus play. Mm. How do we make sure we embed? And one of the things we try to message within that message of play is that part of play is fail. Yes. So it's okay to fail. And again, that's one thing that girls find particularly hard, but we say you will fail. Mm. Expect that you're going to fail. This is going to happen and just go with it. And the more you fail, the better you're going to be. And that's such an important message. <laughs> and we all forget how to play. We don't play anywhere near enough is what we should. One of the things I say to all of my clients when they're trying new ways of communicating using social media or video or digital technologies that they haven't used before is I just say, pretend it's an experiment, treat it as an experiment. And experiments, you expect that some of them will fail and some of them will succeed and some of them will just be a bit meh. And that way, if you fail, you can just say, it was an experiment. It doesn't matter that it failed. I'll just try it this way next time or I'll tweak it and do this instead. And it seems like much more a socially acceptable word and less expensive for people who are budget conscious than um, a pilot program or something like that. You're right, though, and it's a real sciencey word, and it's funny that that doesn't really translate across to technology, that mm. it's about experimenting. We don't really use that terminology, funnily enough, now that you say that, even mm. though, I mean, doing science is all about experiments and occasionally yeah. something works. Mm. And I say to all of my clients, if they're pitching to their board or to their boss for funding, I always say, tell them that you wanted a little bit of money to do an experiment. And then, like you know, when it works and they nearly always get it because it's an experiment and who doesn't like an experiment? Whereas if they say, I need a little bit of money to do a pilot program, 
that just sounds like it's heavy that's serious that it's going to work and a lot of the time they don't but it's also yeah it's serious it's serious business and it also there's also an assumption that oh you're going to need a lot of money mm-hmm. whereas you know you can do an experiment or a pilot program for 10 grand but mm. an experiment for 10 grand seems really cheap and a pilot program for 10 grand seems really expensive <laughs> i love it so much hopefully that's going to be a title of your book at some point experiment oh. this or something oh i hadn't even thought about that yeah maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> but just back to making it like play one of my nieces is 14 and she's super super smart but she's always had this belief that she's bad at maths and she has difficulty with her brain working out numbers. She's dyslexic and she's got the math version of that as well as the word version of that. But, you know, she loves to cook and she loves to bake. And I'll say to her, okay, we're doubling the recipe and the original recipe calls for this. What do we need to add to double it? And she's just so on it. Like she just knows. <laughs> and I think it's a matter of working out how do kids learn as well because so many kids and adults don't learn in the way that we expect to be able to teach them. Agree, agree. And we need to be aware that everyone has different needs and there's so many different ways to learn. Absolutely. And I think a classic example, I think Gladwell talks about in his book, one of his books about Asians better at maths than Mm. Westerners. And I think it's a perfect example. It's like, well, they worked out that they're not overall as an ethnicity, but the way that they learn is quite different. So they're actually faster at calculating numbers. Therefore, they tend to seem like they're better. So it's a different process and they learn differently. So, and it's the different words that you use and things like that. So I think there's something really valuable in that. And if you think of so much learning is still pen and paper and we don't really account for how many skills young people have in so many other I guess, mediums. And again, I think it's just a bit of, wow, where do we start? But I think we should be tapping into some of those. We can really learn what they're capable of. Absolutely. And and let's face it, when was the last time you did anything other than very basic mathematics using a pen and paper Mm. or your head? We always use calculators. Everybody carries a calculator around with them on their phone. Mm -hmm. So why not take advantage of the technology that we mostly have in our pocket? Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I remember I used to play like competitive darts as a teenager, which is kind of an odd thing to do. But we would go around to different places, different pubs anyway. So, anyway. And um, I, the best thing was the maths because I would do always do the scoring and you'd start mm-hmm. at 1001 and you'd have to count back to like down to the final double in the end and you'd literally have to count back constantly. And it was so good to learn my maths. It was the best. Mm, yeah. My husband's an accountant. And so if I need a maths problem, like if I'm making pizza dough and I need to divide the dough into six, I just <laughs> Okay. you know what's 1.3 kilos divided by six how many grams and he's like oh bang knows it <laughs> love it yeah it's very a special kind of skill that's for sure yeah yeah but there's so many people when you pay cash for things at the supermarket who can't work out what's the change i have to give let me work it out it's like what where's the calculator what you mean you can't work out what i've given you a ten dollar bill for something that costs seven dollars 25 and you don't know how much you have to give me back you can't work out an easy way that's and we don't even have copper anymore no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry, I age now. <laughs> I'm surprised we still have five cent coins. <laughs> They're so silly, right? They're the silliest thing. That's it. That's it. So what are some of the ways that we can better connect with our girls in particular to encourage them to be more active in STEM or to instill a love of something to do with one of the STEM topics in their minds? Mm, I think a couple of things there. One is to ask them what they care about in the world and then try to build an experience around that. 
So if they care about the ocean, well, let's find a way to do something eco-waterish around that. If they care you know, about animals, let's find a way of, of doing something in that space. I think whatever girls want to do, that's something that we can do to support them in that area. But it's about finding out what they care about and taking it seriously. And there's something in my experience about, particularly an adult young people don't know, to take their ideas seriously is a really, really powerful thing. And that's why we match all of our teams with mentors. It's having someone they don't know and go, yes, tell me about your idea. And that's a really good idea. Or maybe have you thought about this? And something just incredible about that. And I think coming back to your word before, Mel, is experimenting. I think experimenting with STEM. So, you know, playing with a robot or building an app or, or something and, and experimenting, finding some way to definitely break stuff, pull a computer apart, mm. buy, buy a cheap computer or something and pull it apart or get to your local library or do a workshop. But I think seeing what's inside technology is actually quite important. So many of our young people are not digitally literate, even though they've grown up as what we call digital natives, because they can't work beyond an app. They have an app, but they don't know what happens behind that. They can't do an Excel spreadsheet. They're not able to write a professional email they don't know how to build a schedule in a calendar and those are things that are important for everyday life and we need them to be digitally literate which I'm hoping one good thing that'll come out of lockdown is actually being more literate because they've had to troubleshoot a whole lot more online and had to play online to get things to work and that's actually really really good things when things don't work that's when we have to learn one of my favorite expressions is saying just figure it out and my husband, who does a bit of work for me, who's not very technologically savvy, will frequently say to me, how do I do? And I'm like, figure it out. He's like, no, you tell me. I'm like, no, figure it out. I don't have time to show you. Figure it out. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that causes a few tensions, but yeah. Oh, yeah, it has. <laughs> but he usually figures it out. And there's something about <laughs> just that problem solving, right? Those skills. Yeah. But if we always enable and we always give the answers, mm-hmm. like I remember when my stepson was, I don't know, nine or 10 or 11 and he would do his homework and he'd say to me, how do you spell such and such a word? And I'd say, well, let's sound it out. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to go to Google and I'll just type it into the search bar and it will continue, it'll, you know, mm, autocorrect, autocorrect yeah. it. I'm just like, oh, you're never going to learn. <laughs> I know, it's just spelling and things. But then I think, do you need to? Do you need to know how to spell? I think you do. But there's still so much technology that enables that for you today. True, true. I just think there's some agency for yourself and your own confidence to be able to do those things. And if you have to rely on technology and someone, one day it's not there, what do you yeah. do? Yeah. And for me, I was always a big speller. I guess I was winning on spelling bees in school. Same. That was my thing. And I loved every year. That was, that was my thing. I was so proud that I could spell. Um, because to be honest, I really didn't have much else as a kid, but I could spell. Like I grew up with not very much. But being able to spell was a little bit of a power for myself, a way of having a bit of confidence in my abilities and going, well, I can do stuff other kids can't. I can't, you know, throw a ball very well and I can't run a marathon and I can't, you know, do hurdles, but I can spell. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a way for me to be able to do something that I thought was a special and I think it's a really really important skill for life absolutely I totally agree and I also think there's so many words that can easily be substituted like for and from and um, there's a great billboard shopping center billboard that's going the right doing the rounds of social media where it's part of a COVID campaign and instead of saying the word public public places it says pubic places and it's twice in that ad and clearly the person who did it didn't spell or know how to spell or read it properly because it got through twice in the one billboard and it's in a major heading. Oh dear. 
Oh dear. I can't remember what it's for. It's public health of some sort, pubic health. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's kind of important. It's just, you know, it's a basic skill, I think. I think we're just letting ourselves go if we're just not putting the effort into spelling. <laughs> I think so too. It's like basic maths. I agree. Like, you know your basic times tables and how to add and subtract, you know, anything at least below 100. Your supermarket so, transactions and balancing yeah. your credit cards and things like that. Yeah, oh, balancing credit cards. When I worked for the Office of Fair Trading years and years ago, I had to write a good credit guide and the number of people who didn't know the difference between debt and credit, as in credit card and debt, they thought they were completely different, just blew my mind, blew my mind. I would say it's probably not much different these days. I wouldn't think it would be too much different, unfortunately. No, unfortunately, yeah. But, you know, I also went to dinner with this guy ages ago and he very proudly said, my credit card runs sort of around its limit of $100,000. And it was a small business account, but his small business wasn't, it was a small business. And I just thought, oh my God, I wouldn't sleep at night if I had $100,000 worth of debt on my credit card and just paid the minimum plus a little bit more each month. Like just even talking about it, I feel sick thinking about it. I do as well. And there was a study that came out of the Foundation for Young Australians a couple of years ago. And I think they found that like 97% of people in Australia can't find $50 in an emergency. Wow. And that was before COVID. Wow. I think that COVID has really shown people the importance of having money put aside for a rainy day. And hopefully not spending it on things that they don't need Yeah, to get ourselves into $3 trillion of debt, which is partly why we're in, you know, people are really struggling right now because we don't need external things to make us happy. (laughs) Hopefully we can start to realise that a little more. And I think a friend of mine made a comment on Facebook the other day that we just seem to be living in this sense of entitlement. And there's so many people who believe that people owe them, the government owes them. Um, When they lose their jobs or income isn't as great, then the government is expected to bail us out and yes I'm very grateful that the government has some funding programs in place to provide support but I certainly didn't ever have the expectation that that's what they would do and I think one reason is because so many people do live paycheck to paycheck or you know might have a week's worth of pay if they lose their job but that's about it because we buy so many things we don't need And I think that comes back down to basic financial literacy of people not understanding how to manage their money, what debt is, what a credit card really looks like and what it means and how long it takes to repay money. Absolutely. And I think it's even harder these days with everything being plastic contactless now. I mean, we're not going back to cash. Cash is now literally gone. It will pretty much never come back, which is quite amazing to think about. I wonder what I'll do with that $50 in my wallet. I just realised it. (laughs) I never get to spend it. But no, it's literally gone now. So I think we're even further removed. Um, I mean, I'm back to lay-bys and things as a young person and lay-buying something for Christmas or, you know, for your presents and things. And that was a good thing because it really taught you about money and paying a little bit at a time and things. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no sense of actual tangibility in any of that. Even Afterpay, which I love. Yeah, right. I've never used it as a concept. I've never used it either, but I own shares and they've just skyrocketed. So I'm happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) But even Afterpay, it's kind of like lay-by, except you don't go in and hand over the cash. It just comes off, comes out of a bank account or off a credit Mm -hmm. card or I don't actually fully understand how it works Mm -hmm. in terms of where the money comes from, but it's still a debt. Mm -hmm. I just find people's attitudes towards that that in so many ways that makes it so much easier to purchase things you don't actually need. 
Absolutely. And I think not so much even afterpay, it's all those other ones, the quick cash come in, you know, 16% interest and, and those that mm. are being promoted to vulnerable communities again to the people who really shouldn't yeah. be having any access to that kind of stuff because yeah. it's yeah. not and helping pay, at all. Payday loans and payday lending and that stuff. Yeah, the all payday of those stuff. things. That's yeah. just, I mean, there is a lot of new legislation around or, or tighter legislation that's come about in the last 10 to 15 years because, again, when I worked at the Office of Fair Trading, we did a lot of work to make that legislation mm-hmm. stronger so that those people were less able to prey on the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But there's still a long way to go. Absolutely. And I think in part that's what drives me with Tech Girls is, I mean, one of the biggest trends at the moment is uh, the biggest homeless population is women over 55. And so for me, that starts from being young. And for me, being able to help girls have choices about their careers, meaning they actually can earn their own money and not be relying on others by a partner or whoever, that will then give them access to super, will give them access to savings, will give them access to a whole bunch of stuff that hopefully they will never be in that position. They have to live in their car once they're 55. Yeah, and also teaching them to have a separate bank account, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe have your everyday account and then have another account that has an emergency amount of money mm-hmm. that you that you regularly contribute to, even if it's just $5 a week or $10 a week or, you know, 1% of each paycheck or whatever small amount might be that you can afford. Because when you've got that money, even if it's only $5,000, that gives you freedom to escape an abusive relationship or to get yourself out of a situation that you've unexpectedly found yourself in that you don't want to be in, you know, to quit a bad job, but to get away from a lecherous boss. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much you can do with even just a small amount of money. But if you don't have that, your, your choices are limited. Absolutely. And I remember doing some research back, I think it was like 16 years ago with RMIT, and we had a project where we were looking at internet banking. And at the time, internet banking was quite new in 2004. And the banks were trying to work out how to get more of their customers online, which looking back now is quite hilarious. But we were working with migrant communities, particularly women. And we actually literally had a thing we called the the running away from home account. Mm. And it was something like most women talked about, like having some way that they would hide money somewhere because they knew that things were so, again, they were so vulnerable that anything could change, particularly being in another country where, you know, so they would they want to look after their family if you know, we're left without that. So, yeah. yeah, I like the running away from home account. I think, I think be prepared. I think just be prepared. When my mother died, we went through um, my mum and dad's safe and each of us had our own section of the safe with our own, you know, birth certificate, important pieces of paper. And in mum's file, there was an envelope that said for emergencies only, and it had a date. So she died in 2010. And the date on the envelope was 1995. And inside the envelope was $1,500 cash in what looked like untouched $50 bills. And my father had no idea it was there because they'd gone through some really struggling financial times between 1995 and 2000. And he didn't know it was there. And I looked at it and I just went, wow, because in 1995, my brother and I both lived overseas and that money would have been in case either of us needed an emergency air ticket to get it back to Australia or mum needed to fly to see us mm-hmm. in an emergency. And I just remember thinking, I've got goosebumps thinking about it now. Yeah, me too. Thinking, wow, that was so far-sighted of her and particularly when they didn't have very much spare cash then and $1,500 was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it, this story gets even better mm-hmm. <laughs> because a year later when my, and we went through everything in that in the safe when she died to see what else was in there. And then a year later when my dad died, my brother and I went through the safe again and we found another envelope 
with similar wording on the front mm. with another $1,500 in it that we had somehow not seen the first time we'd gone through. Mm. And it was just like, how does this even happen? Mm. So, well, for each of you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that money got used both of it lots to contribute to funeral costs, obviously. But, um, you know, cleaned that mum's wallet, put it with, gave it to dad, and then when he died, went through it all again, picked up mum's wallet and dropped it, and $200 fell out of it. And I'm like, that was not there before because I opened every compartment of that. Yeah, <laughs> it was just bizarre. Yeah. That's but, it. And if you turn that around and say, well, if we give our women, our young women, and to grow mm-hmm. older with these skills, to actually have resources to do something really good with that, I mean, imagine what they're doing without having the resources. Imagine if we yeah. give them the resources, yeah. what they can do and how better they can help us make this world. Exactly. Exactly. Just about run out of time. Can't believe how quickly the time goes. So I just have a couple of final questions. Is there a book that has particularly impacted you? Oh, great question. To be honest, I'm reading The Power of Now at the moment and I'm not sure it would have made any sense to me at any other point in my life, but I feel like I'm at a bit of a crossroads and I'm finding it, it's giving me a lot of insight and it's speaking to me like no book I've ever read before. Wow. Um, yeah, I think particularly because of what's going on with COVID as well, that now is a, that I've actually got the time to stop. I've never really had the time to, well, for the last seven years, running a not-for-profit, running a consulting company, I've been reacting a lot to other people's needs and always on the go, lots of very early morning flights and things like that. So for the first time, something else has put a pause on my life. Mm. And in some ways, I'm, I'm very grateful for that because I wouldn't have been able to do it for myself necessarily. And I'm taking that time to stop and listen to the birds and see things around me, which is what um, Eckhart Tolle talks about, and just appreciating the now because you've never got a better time like now. And I think that's so true. Never been more true than right now. I love that. You've mentioned that book to me a couple of times over the last month or so, and um, I've discovered an unopened copy on my bookcase. (laughs) I don't know how long it's been there because I know I didn't buy it. I don't even know where it came from. Oh, I love it. I'm just working through slowly. Yeah, and I don't want to finish it. Like I wanted to work it really slowly, so I'm still going really slow, and each time I read a page, I almost want to read it again. So I'm just really just enjoying the actual reading experience of the book, which, again, I've never quite enjoyed it so much before. I love that. Really beautiful. So where can people find you if they'd like to connect with you? Oh, you can find me. Um, so techgirlsmovement.org is probably the easiest place. We're pretty active on social media. Tech Girls are superheroes. You'll find our antics and the things that we get up to. Uh, we're still doing a lot of things, running workshops for girls, which is great fun. We'll be up in regional Queensland this week. And, yeah, still, still going while all this is happening because I guess we were always designed to be run online and that was actually now paying off that we always tried to reach as many girls across Australia as possible and now we're able to do that even more so yeah google me I don't think there's anyone else with my name in the world (laughs) probably not with an OIM at the end now so I'll definitely take that as being unique but exactly um. (laughs) yeah I'll pop all the links in the show notes as well for anybody who's keen to find out more about you awesome thanks thank you so much I've loved our conversation and I look forward to the next one fabulous thank you for having me on your show today absolute pleasure me too Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really liked what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes or a recommendation on LinkedIn or both.
The show notes are all on the website, melkettle.com forward slash podcast. And I'd love you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You'll find me at Mel Kettle. See you next time and stay connected. Bye. Thank you.